0: This is the One Accord podcast, a podcast dedicated to having uh, sometimes difficult and thorny conversations but doing so uh, with love and uh, respect for the others and even when we disagree, coming back for more because the issues that we talk about matter and we actually still like each other if uh, you can believe that. I know a lot of times people think that if you disagree with somebody that means that you have to dislike them. Well, not the case, and so uh, here I am again with my friends, uh, who I disagree with uh, often, but, uh, but who I like very much. Uh, let's bring in our first uh, uh, team member, Pastor Eric Love. Eric, how you doing today?
1: I'm doing better than last week. I'm uh, pretty much over this sickness and feeling a lot better and, and probably sound better. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Well, you do certainly sound back uh, like the old Eric that we know. Uh, you definitely sounded like you were under the weather last week, so I'm glad to hear that you are feeling better. And uh, let's also welcome in uh, Brother Greg. Greg, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, good morning. I'm um, actually, funny enough, I'm not feeling well. So I think whatever Eric had last week, um, he must have passed on. And so I'm actually going to ask that you start wearing a mask while we uh, while we do these conversations. <laughs> for, uh, uh, I am not a doctor,
0: uh, and <laughs> I, do I don't that. think that that's how it works. Uh, so I'm pretty <laughs> well. It was two years ago. Well, fair enough. Uh, (laughs) We are digressing already. Uh, That's not (laughs) a good sign, maybe, but. uh, Welcome, Greg. (laughs) We're digressing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are uh, here this morning, uh, this episode, to talk about the issue of Christian nationalism. That is something that uh, is, uh, at least in some circles, very uh, uh, an important topic of conversation. Recently, I will admit that this is something that hasn't really been on my radar. And I'll at least explain why I think that might be. And then again, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But I've said uh, many times before, not on this podcast, but just to people who know me, that eschatology isn't just some kind of esoteric doctrine that only applies to the future. Uh, What we think about the future really does affect how we live today. Even the conversations that we had in our last two episodes about who is Israel and what is their future. Again, this affects how we make decisions today and how we think about certain events. And so um, the way I understand Christian nationalism, and I'm certainly no expert, so like I said, you guys can correct me, it typically comes out of the post-mill camp, um, and because I don't have a lot of folks in my uh, circles who are post-mill, it it kind of is at least a little bit slower in getting to me. You guys have both put yourselves in the amillennial camp, although there are some nuances there, and so it seems like it is more um, maybe appropriate, uh, this view, at least the way I understand it currently, based on your view of the future. And I would guess that uh, certainly the amount of people who are excited about the idea of Christian nationalism that fall in my camp, the premillennial camp, is probably the lowest of those, at least of those three groups. Um, but maybe I'm thinking about this completely wrong, and so hopefully, uh, if so, you guys can help uh, clear me up. So we'll kick it over to you, Greg. I know that this was something that uh, you mentioned in our very first episode, that you you do think that this is a good and biblical position. So maybe we can start off with just what is it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um- so, instead of giving you my definition, and we're going to, we're going to talk a bit about definitions today, right? Because um, what we mean by nationalism is going to uh, going to change our conclusion. So, um, going to read a definition that others have created, and and that, as far as I can tell, uh, seems reasonable to me. Uh, they say this: Christian nationalism is a set of governing principles rooted in Scripture, teaching that Christ rules as supreme Lord and King over all creation who has ordained civil magistrates with delegated authority to be under him over the people to order their ordained jurisdiction by punishing evil and promoting good for his own glory and the common good of the nation. So that comes from the statement on Christian nationalism in the gospel. Um, and, And so I'd like to use that kind of as my, as my jumping off point. And so, you know, as part of the conversation, a lot going on out there, how you define nationalism, how you define Christian nationalism, I, I think definitely will change your perspective on this. And now, Joe, you went right to eschatology, and I'd say, yes, um, I'm a mill with some heavy post mill sympathies, but I don't necessarily see this as a eschatological matter. Um, I think it's a historical matter. Um, when I talk about Christian nationalism and the and the people that I hear talking about Christian nationalism, this isn't. The typical post-mill, now the post-mill end goal definitely bakes itself in there. But when I talk about Christian nationalism, what I'm talking about is my desire through the gospel that people in all nations all over the world would come to believe and then order their lives in a Christian way. In a in a way that seeks to give obedience to Christ, bow the knee to Christ, live in accordance with the Word, and those people also include the kings, the rulers, um, those those government officials who, multiple places in Scripture we see are told to to be obedient to Christ, and as kings, as presidents, as leaders, um, you know, notably in our current day, people like speakers of the House and senators um as they are doing their job they're doing it according to the will of god um our nation will look more christian now i say this this isn't just a history a uh, a future thing it's a historical thing there were times in this nation and nations all around the earth when we were more christian now does that mean that we were doing everything perfectly right and perfectly according to the will of god no uh, no one's no one that i know is making that argument um, but you know, I can, and I've got listed here a few things we could talk about them. Um, where as our nation, we, as a body politic have walked away from the will of God, walked away from the word of God, things have objectively gotten worse. And my argument is, is if the gospel spread and was believed and was obeyed that uh, in our nation, um, things would objectively get better than they are now. And so um, I believe God establishes nations. I believe God ordains nations to be, and he, he ordains them to fall at times. And so I would love for this nation to be so um, so infiltrated by Christians, so uh, saturated with Christianity that we would call ourselves a Christian nation the way um you know, the way schools call themselves Christian schools, the way families call themselves Christian families, um, that that our culture would order itself according to the word of God and therefore be able to be called a Christian nation.
1: Well, I appreciate what Greg said, and I have all the same desires. Um, I, I come at it. Um, uh, not necessarily differently, Um I, but I, I come at it, I guess from a little bit different angle, um, and I think our goals are both probably very similar. But let me first begin by explaining what I'm not saying. Uh, I am not saying that having righteous laws in a nation will transform the citizens of a nation into Christians. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that a nation should um, should legislate uh, or make laws that, that can somehow force people into Christianity. Laws are actually not capable of doing that. The only thing that can transform a person is the gospel. And that's why Paul said the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans one sixteen. So um, I want to first say that before I explain uh, why I think uh, America and all, all the nations of the world should should have laws that are consistent with God's moral law. I'm, I, I do not believe for a moment that laws can transform people's hearts, although laws do have their purpose. And so I want to uh, explain what, what their purpose is. So what am I saying? Well, the purpose of government in general is to protect the righteous and punish the unrighteous. And in Romans thirteen four, Paul wrote, for it, that is the governing authority, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So uh, Paul said this during the Roman Empire. Uh, He he was uh, talking about He was talking about Rome, but he was uh, he was sounds like he was talking about government in general. Government in general serves the purpose of protecting the righteous and punishing the unrighteous. Uh, So Rome could somewhat fulfill this purpose. uh, Of course, Rome was pagan and and did many, many things that were ungodly. Uh, But Rome somewhat could fulfill this purpose. So, But the more consistent a nation's laws are with the moral law of God, the closer to this ideal that nation will be. And the reason is because the moral law of God tells us who the righteous and unrighteous are. If we're going to protect the righteous and we're going to punish the unrighteous, we have to know who these groups are. And that's where the moral law of God comes in. The moral law of God identifies the righteous and the unrighteous. On the other hand, if a, if a nation creates laws that are contrary to the moral law of God, then inevitably uh, you're going to get injustice and uh, wickedness is, gonna, is going to uh, reign. So when this happens, when, when wickedness is allowed to reign, when, when a nation's laws are inconsistent with the law of God, uh, the wicked are actually emboldened to do wrong and society becomes increasingly more evil. So throughout history, uh, God has had this expectation for all nations. Uh, God has expected all nations everywhere uh, to conduct themselves righteously. And I, I have to add, when I say righteously, uh, I don't mean that uh, that unbelievers are capable of living as righteously as Christians are. I don't believe that. Um, but nonetheless. Uh, it's nonetheless true that God does have moral expectations for all nations. He always has throughout all of history. And if nations refused to conduct themselves righteously, uh, then God eventually punished them. Now, some might ask, well, how is this fair since they didn't have the written law of God like Israel did? We know we know from, for example, Psalm 147 that, that God only gave his written law to Israel. There was no other nation that had Uh, The written law of God. That's certainly true. But it's still fair for God to have expectations for all nations and all men because all men have the the law of God uh, written on their hearts, not the full written law of God like like the Torah, Um, but they have a basic understanding of what's right and wrong. And this makes them responsible for obeying it. Uh, This is mentioned all throughout Scripture, um, Romans 1 talks about men being without excuse they're without excuse not only uh, because of natural uh, revelation, the revelation of God in nature, but they also have uh, they have the law of God written on their hearts, and they are responsible for um, living according to their conscience. so let, let me just give you a few examples of of god's uh, God's expectations for nations. God told Abraham that his descendants would spend 400 years in Egypt before taking the land of Canaan. This is mentioned in Genesis 15, verse 16. So Abraham's descendants would spend 400 years in Egypt before taking the land of Canaan because the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete, he said. And for those who don't know, the Amorites lived in Jerusalem before Israel did. They they occupied the land um, and, uh, and God told Israel to drive them out because of their wickedness. And if you read in the Torah, what you find is God's describing uh, the, the, the nature of their sin. He's describing just how vile it was. Uh, they, were, they would burn their children to death in worship of false gods. They, would, um, well, they were engaged in bestiality. They would drink human blood. They would have all these vile, uh, religious practices, and God sent Israel into the nation to to punish them, to get rid of them uh, because of their sins. So this was a this was a, an issue of sin. It wasn't just simply that you know God wanted to you know uh, give Israel the land. He he actually he wanted to give Israel the land to get these other people out because they were uh, committing these abominable practices. So God waited until the nation's sin reached its climax, and then he sent Israel into the land to punish uh, the inhabitants, or at the very least to drive them out of the land uh, because of their sins. God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah because the sin of the people was exceedingly grave, Genesis 18-20 says. Uh, He destroyed other nations like Edom, Assyria, and even Babylon for their sins. There's a so many nations that God punished um, because of their evil. God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and he, he told uh, Jonah to tell the Ninevites, you're, you're going to be destroyed uh, because of your evil. Now, the Ninevites did repent, and they dodged that bullet for a time. But uh, we know from history that Nineveh went back to their sin, and as a result, God sent Babylon against them, and Babylon wiped them off the map. It says in Proverbs fourteen thirty four, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people, not just to Israel. It, it's a disgrace to any people because uh, everybody knows basically what's right and wrong. Everybody is able to live according to their conscience. Not obviously not, you know, not like a Christian can, um, but good enough. And if a nation uh, has righteous laws, ones that are consistent with God's moral law. And if these laws are properly enforced, then that nation can protect itself uh, from God's judgment. So finally, laws are going to be imposed on, our, on a nation. The, que- the question is not, will laws be imposed on a nation? The question is, which laws do we want imposed? Will they be man's laws or will they be God's laws? And uh, as far as America goes, I would prefer God's laws being the laws of the land. And the hard part is figuring out, like you said, Joe, earlier, how we go about implementing this, how, how we go about uh, you know, passing these laws. Because obviously, if you're going to pass the laws, you have to have righteous politicians, or they, they don't necessarily have to be Christians, but they do need to be people of conscience, and they do need to be sympathetic uh, toward the law of God, which some of them are. And um so it, it it sounds really great as far as the uh, the idea, but making this happen, putting it into practice, is an entirely different matter. So I acknowledge that my view is woefully um, underdeveloped, but that's that's basically where I'm coming from.
2: Yeah, um so I'd say this, you know speaking to to that point, the point you started with, the point you ended, where does this start with? Um, i would I would argue. I'm agreeing with you. Of course, it doesn't start with the laws. The laws enacted by a people are a product of the people. Our laws are produced by us. And so when it comes to what law are we going to follow? We either have laws that are produced by people as a result of of themselves, or we go back and say, what is the law provided to us by God? And we, and we, again, then turn around and produce. So I guess the point I got trying to make is the source of our laws is either reflect, is either a product of our biblical understanding, our, our understanding of the perfect laws that God has given us, or they're a product of our own wisdom, our own, our own sense of right and wrong. And so Absolutely, this cannot start with a legislative action because that's not the fountainhead of our of of laws. Um, God would have to be the fountainhead of laws um, and so absolutely it shouldn't start shouldn't start there.
0: so I think that we're all in agreement on that, uh, at least it seems that we are, and I think that's part of my reason for even just asking the question then like why why even talk about something like this? because uh, I think I think you guys would acknowledge i think you maybe have even both said it um you know our current nation is not on a trajectory that seems to be getting closer and closer to this ideal but seems to be getting further and further away at least that's the way i see it and so i mean are we talking about a get out the vote kind of a a thing where we're just trying to encourage people to go and and vote there you know get get christians to vote because that's how i hear some people talk about it my encouragement would be, well, I'm trying to get Christians to go out, you know, as long as we have a vote, you should use it. I vote. I think people should vote. I think that's a civic duty. Um, But I want Christians to go out and preach the gospel because as you said, laws don't change people's hearts. The gospel changes people's hearts. And I know, I feel like in my circles that I talk to, I have way more people who would be more likely to um, go door to door to try and get someone to sign a political petition than they would be to go door to door to try and share the gospel with people. I know people that would be much more likely to stand on a street corner uh, and hold a political sign than they would be to go and stand on a street corner and and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, And I realized that, you know, the world doesn't necessarily like either of those things. But if I'm going to prioritize my activities, I believe that God told me to do one, go into all the world and preach the gospel, because then it sounds like we agree that's the thing that if people's hearts are changed, then nations change. That's what happened with Jonah. And it lasted for a generation, maybe or two. And then, of course, it did. It went away. Um, if, if, a, a changed people don't change the laws, then we'll very easily go back to, uh, where I guess we started maybe, or beginning to do what's right in our own eyes. But in my view, the church has been very derelict of our, of our responsibility. And so to talk about these ideals, I I'm, I'm with you guys. Of course, I would rather live in a, you know, a nation that is actually a Christian nation than, than not. And, um, you know, for us sitting here, that sounds good. I, I know if anybody's watching that doesn't share our values, that sounds like a, a, that's a terror to them right they, they there are many people who are very pleased with the direction that our current country is going in um things that i'm not pleased with and things that you guys probably aren't pleased with but are we putting the cart before the horse like why why have a conversation like this if, if we agree it's not about the laws it's not about changing the laws shouldn't we again i know people tell me here's joe beating his drum again but like shouldn't we be talking about having the church be equipped To go out and proclaim the gospel if we're going to have any hope at all of our nation being changed or of any nation being changed doesn't it start there or am i am i missing something in what you guys are talking about
2: i think i'd say oh go ahead eric well
1: no i i i've um i've talked to the church to my local church about this and because you know like probably like every church we have people in the church that um have political concerns uh they have political concerns regarding um, who the politicians are, what laws are being passed. Uh, we all have people probably in our churches that, that share those concerns. And I share those concerns too, but my emphasis has been, of course, of course, vote. You have the right to vote. You should vote. Voting um, is something, but voting is not the thing. Because I think what's really going to change people is we have to, uh, we have to change the heart um, before we can change the country. And we do that person by person through through the gospel. Um, so I, I'm a firm believer that if... I, I tell people, you need to earn the right to complain. And how you earn the right to complain is, if you are sharing the gospel people regularly, and people are rejecting the gospel, and the nation is just tanking, Okay, well, then you've earned the right to complain in my book. But if you're not sharing the gospel and yet you're complaining about how bad things are, then, then do what you have to do to help uh, change, change people's hearts. And I think it, it has to come uh, through the gospel. Um, but I, I do believe, though, that as we're I do believe that as, as we're doing the mission of the church, really one of one of our goals should be to um, not only to, to change individuals through the gospel but to to really change our government if we can and i and, I, and again I don't mean if we get the right politicians in there everybody's just going going become Christians or something like that but I think our legislation really really does matter. I think it matters to god um, it's a it's a reflection of uh, of you know, in some ways the citizens of a nation, even if, you know, citizens don't always agree with the legislation, oftentimes they don't. But I think legislation really is, um, is, if I'm reading scripture right, I think it's important to God. And I think we need to, uh, we we do need to be concerned about that.
0: I certainly agree with you on that part. And I, uh, Greg, I'll turn it over to you in just a second. Um, uh, I just want to have one clarification from what you're saying, but all the examples you gave earlier, um, I do think that Christians should be aware the more unjust laws that we have on the books, the more likely it is that I think like we have no promise. We talked about the future of Israel uh in our last episode. I believe that God will maintain his people, maybe not in their land, but he will maintain his people. I see no such promise for America or any other nation. Um, and there's no there's no reason why God couldn't wipe us off the map uh like he did exactly. with some of the other nations before. Um and so I do think that there's sometimes an arrogance, like a uh and and sometimes I hear this term and I, I think that people think like, you know we say god bless america almost to the exclusion of everybody else i get concerned about that but you're 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 expressing the other side our laws do matter Uh, i don't know why we would think that sin would not be a a reproach to us and to our people why we would think that we can endure forever in god's sight with unjust laws on the books doing um, many of the abominable practices uh, again, many, it's not just about one thing, About many, many, many of the abominable practices that he has judged other nations for and think that he just, he loves Americans so much that he wouldn't bring judgment to us. The, the clarification that I wanted to ask, and it's probably the moments past, but what does regularly sharing the gospel look like to you? Like if I post something on Facebook once a decade on, on that regular cadence, does that earn me the right to complain? Or what does regular uh, sharing the gospel look like in your
2: in your eyes. Well, you set the standard, Joe. So you tell us.
0: <laughs> I was just—he was curious. He said, <laughs> "You got to earn the right." So I'm like, "I do regularly share. I once every decade I share, you know, <laughs> my, whatever."
2: Well, my
1: my definition of regular is probably somewhat arbitrary. Um, but I of I, course because there's,
2: no, yeah. there's no there's no there's nothing the in the Bible the that question. tells them, yeah yeah it, yeah. it, it yeah. has to be arbitrary. Yeah,
1: um, but I, I I mean I think I think every you know you know every time we or I'll let me say this. I'll say we have to have we we have to have evangelism on our radar uh at all times. And when we when we have an opportunity to evangelize, we need to take that opportunity. So I would say when the opportunity presents itself, um we need to take advantage of it. Now again, I don't always do that. Um but like, you know, just one little thing so during the week, sometimes I work from Starbucks, not because I um, am aligned with Starbucks uh, in, in every single way. As a matter of fact, I, there are many things about Starbucks I, I do not like at all. But here's the reason I go. I go because I sit at the table. I have my computer open, and I have a little sign in front of my computer pointed toward It says, go away. That, that's, that, well, there's the opposite <laughs> that, says, that says, ask me anything about God so i it, it's an invitation, and I've only had about i think i've been doing this for a while and i've only had like maybe three people um do that but that, that's that's one way where i'm uh i'm trying to get, you know make it known that here i i I'm here to talk to you about God if you want to talk about god um i'm I'm here to do that i also uh, uh will talk i will just you know sometimes approach people and share the gospel with them face to face or i will share my gospel video uh from YouTube with people. So I, I think it's just about having evangelism on our radar regularly and and taking advantage of the opportunities. Uh and again, sometimes like we have to be deliberate about it because obviously people don't just fall into our lap that we can evangelize to. We have to, I believe we have to go out and pursue people. And um you know the sign, it's it's bore very little fruit. So um, it, it, it's, it can't be it's not my number one um, strategy, but I just I think we just need to we need to have evangelism on the radar and we need to be um, we need to be mindful of that. I would say every week making some kind of an attempt, um, and I realize that's an arbitrary thing, but it's just a it's that that would be my encouragement. Every week you you know make an attempt to share the gospel with somebody.
0: All right. So well, I that's, I, that's I just wanted suggestion. to know if I if I checked the box if I if I'm complaining to you if I've uh, checked that box or not so uh, I will still uh, uh, I think you most box, of my though. I will direct most of my complaints to you uh, since I've uh, maybe maybe earned the right in your book but uh, I'm sorry Greg <laughs> you were going to say something maybe uh, before I took us down this uh, this yeah, rabbit
2: trail. maybe maybe I don't remember um, you know I think amongst Christians the conversation breaks down even before it gets to this point right um, there is. And I'm not accusing you of this, Joe, but there is a strong view coming out of some eschatological camps that says that Christ isn't ruling right now, that he isn't exercising authority right now. Um, they, you know, I I quoted it, I forget, I must have quoted it during our, our talk on es, eschatology, um, coming out of the view that says Christ is not king right now. Um, he's not ruling. And, and. That's that's extremely contrary to, you know, Revelation uh, chapter one, where, where John calls Christ the ruler of the kings of the earth. It's contrary to um, Matthew 28, where in Jesus's own words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, so we break down at the lordship of Christ. We break down at the idea of nations. Um, Again, let me just let me read one of the affirmation and denials from this statement on Christian nationalism um, when it says defining a nation because because we break down at what a nation is or what a nation is supposed to be. The authors of this uh, write this. It says, we affirm that a nation is not merely an ideal abstract principle or ideology, but tangibly defined by a particular body of people in a particular place. We affirm That a particular people are necessarily bound together by a shared culture, custom, history, and lineage, while sharing common interests, virtues, language, and worship. We affirm, in regards to place, that a nation is definitively set by both borders and times physically defined by God. Thus, we affirm that nations should rightly maintain autonomous government of their people in place with the necessary rights and duties to one. Prioritize the security of its people by maintaining its borders, providing for a common defense, and repelling invasions without uh, insurrections from within. And two, promote the prosperity of its citizens, and three, enforce justice. Their denial goes like this. We deny that a nation should cede its sovereignty to international bodies that may subvert the will of the national interests for a global order. We deny Any efforts to establish a one world government system before the return of Christ as such efforts are a reenactment of the tower of Babel. We further deny that sovereign nations must only be composed of mono ethnic populations to be united under God. Therefore, as Christian nationalists, we utterly repudiate sinful ethnic partiality in all its various forms. So we, we, there is a push out there and I would argue that it's even within the church. Uh, to To want to deny uh, national government that God has established and does establish nations and does tear them down, as you said before, uh, so we we break down there. We break down when we, the church, fail to recognize that it is our job to declare to kings. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll quote Psalm. Uh, I'll quote Psalm two. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord and with reverence and rejoice in trembling. Do homage to the Son that he may not become angry. We have forgotten that it is part of our role as the church to declare to kings, to rulers, to judges, to those leading the nations, that there is a God in heaven. And now, should that primarily be through the gospel? Absolutely, it should be. Um, but But when we see gross wickedness taking place— it's our job to take action other places. Uh, for instance, one thing that happened, you know, recently, um, I suppose you guys saw it. There was a uh, a statue of Satan set up in the Iowa State Capitol. Now, a, a Christian brother, yes, a uh, a guy, I, I believe he's a he's a post mail guy, went and tore it down. He went and tore down a statue of Satan that was being set up in the Iowa State Capitol yay for him good for him now you could say well maybe what you should have done is left the statue alone because it's private property and and just stood there and preached the gospel yeah he i hope he's preaching the gospel but yay for him for tearing down an idol that's being set up in in a state capital Um, because here here's the reality right um you either have christ or you have something else either either the human heart is going to turn and worship to the true and living God or it's going to turn and worship to something else and so yes primarily through the gospel but also by tearing down idols also by striking down and 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 arguing against wicked laws you know in England right now you you can be arrested and, and there have been Christians who have been arrested for praying privately quietly within sight of abortion centers, um, that's wicked. And I think Christians ought to stand up and say, that's wicked. Should that announcement be accompanied with, by the gospel? Absolutely. Of course. But should it only, does it must it only be the presentation of the gospel? Absolutely not. They need to know our rulers need to know that they're being wicked. Um, not according to their own standard. I don't care what your, your standard doesn't matter. Um, the standard that God has set forth. And now you argue for the moral law, Eric, and I say yay to that. But I think it goes beyond the moral law. I think we have, we have an obligation to preach both tables of the law. Because if we only argue from the moral law, we're missing the point that there is a God in heaven. Um, and so those, those two tables, I don't think can be separated. Uh, quite so easily, and I'm not saying that you're you're arguing for that. But if we just preach the morality and don't preach the there is only one God, I think we're going to fall short.
0: Well, there's an awful lot there that I am interested in interacting with, um, Eric. It looked like you were about to say something, though. I didn't. It-
1: well, w- when you say both tables, are you, t- you so you're you're talking about? I declare I guess if you could clarify that, Greg, like because I, I I think I know what you meant, but I'm gonna i want to be sure that I understand where you're coming from
2: yeah i I don't think we can preach I don't think we can declare don't murder without declaring there is a God in heaven, the only God who says don't murder. Um, we can't say you can't set up idols for Satan without saying you shall have no idols before me
0: I think uh the the division is in the uh, in the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are um, god-centered. Like our relationship with God, yeah, maybe first five, uh is it first four or first five uh, how did this I think this is I think it's four, yeah, uh, and then starting with the fifth commandment through the tenth commandment, these are um like more uh horizontal commands, like with things that we don't do with each other, don't covet, don't steal, don't lie, you know, no false witness, that kind of stuff, um, and so I think that's the the delineation between the two tables the the relationship from humans to God and then relationship from humans to humans, Jesus would have summarized it maybe as. Uh, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so is that is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Right on.
1: So um, let me ask you a question real quick,
0: um,
1: if I could. Should we then, uh, are, are you saying, Greg, should we view um, or, or should our goal be for all nations to be theocracies? And and I I guess maybe that's, that's, that is what a, I'm assuming you mean, that's what a, that's what a Christian nation is, is it's basically a theocracy.
2: It would be my goal that every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth bow the knee to Christ. And in response to that, establish godly God honoring laws that, that are in compliance with his word. Um, And so if we want to call that a theocracy, I understand that's a loaded term and, and it gets a little bit dangerous but if but if if every nation was overwhelmingly comprised of Christians living in response to god 's word properly, I believe we would have laws that re- that are accurately reflecting the lordship of Jesus christ okay, because I guess my my
1: thing was that and you know when we think of when we think of Israel, for example, Israel was well they were supposed to be a theocracy. Um, God actually said, you don't need a human king. I'm your king. Uh, and, and he told him, uh, don't appoint a human king. But when you appoint a human king, uh, you know, make sure he follows, he meets his criteria. Yeah. But, um, so Israel was supposed to be a, a, a theocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and God made a covenant with Israel. Do you think that, um, that nations, like let's just take America we're living in America do you take do you think that that America should be living or I should say operating as if it has a covenant with God do you think that's the only way that Christian nationalism can can rightly be expressed or do you believe that it can be expressed in it
2: in a different way and I know that's kind of maybe a uh, yeah it's a really I guess I'm not sure what you're asking. So let me let me throw a couple of darts and see if I I hit what you're what you're getting to. Okay. Um, I believe that every person, including every king, including every president and prime minister, whatever you want to call them, whatever they are in in their particular corner of the world, I believe ought to live as if there is a God in heaven. Now, does that mean that every nation has a Particular covenant with God, well, the new covenant, um, and so, so going beyond that, I, I, I need you to get a little bit more specific. Um, I guess is there is there
1: a difference, and I and I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, to be honest. Um, but is there a difference between, like, having a nation that is, let's just say, predominantly Christian, that has Righteous laws, um, or at least you know, generally laws that are consistent with the moral law of God, is is that is that the same thing as being like in covenant with God? I, I'm just wondering if it's because if if there is a difference, how would how would that difference be? What, what, what would the difference be, and how would it be expressed? Joe, does this make any sense yeah, to you, yeah. or um, I'm just
2: I, I'm. I would never express it that way, and I don't. I've never heard anybody who who takes this position talk like that. So I, I guess, I guess I I don't know how to respond.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm fully understanding you either. But the thoughts that I have are are um, still related to my initial um, comments that I wanted to make from what Greg said before. So I guess you can tell me if this is an answer to your question, or or um, or if I just have. <laughs> My thoughts from that still in my mind, and and it's causing me to misunderstand the the point that you're making. Um, Certainly going all the way back to several minutes ago when you were talking about, you know, there's some people, particularly that you've encountered uh, through reading in the quote unquote premillennial dispensational camp who would deny the present reign of Christ. Um, I am happy to acknowledge plainly and without qualification that if anybody in my, you know, so that shares that same label uh, were to express that. I do not agree with them at all, and I definitely agree more with you guys that, that uh, it is the clear, obvious, uh, direct, universal, overwhelming testimony of Scripture that Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, that is the declaration of the gospel. It's not just, you know, do you want to pray this prayer and go to heaven when you die? It's that Jesus Christ is Lord. The name of the ministry that we're all, you know, we're currently participating in the Exalted Christ's One Accord podcast the name of our ministry is about the fact that Christ is exalted. He's not a baby lying in a manger. He's not a rabbi walking along the, the shores of Galilee, touching the faces of all the children and smiling at everybody. He is the risen, exalted King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, his kingdom reigns over all the kingdoms of the earth. He declares that all men everywhere must repent and believe the gospel. Salvation is found in no one else. And he is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. All of our opinions matter for nothing. He's the judge of heaven and earth, and he's the one to whom we must stand and give an account. He's the man appointed by God um, through whom we will all be judged. So, Amen. we, I think, agree on all of that stuff. Um, where I start to get nervous um, uh, is in the, you know, you mentioned that this isn't just an eschatological view, it is a historical view. Um, and some of historical the historical implications, can, like. Sure. Yes. Like- um so it has present present tense application. Um these things have been wrestled about, you know, from from Christians before us, uh, and and we have historical examples of those. Uh and likewise until Christ returns, we we will we will wrestle with these issues. And part of, you know, what you said, you said that the the primary means is the gospel. I think if there's a pushback on my end, from what I'm hearing from you, Greg, and I think this maybe answers the question that you're asking, Eric, is that um I don't think that the preaching of the gospel is the primary means I think it's the only means and so again whether or not um you know like we think about this this res uh was it was it in Iowa that that happened yes. that you're talking about yeah okay um so I unlike you although I share your sentiment I don't want those things around um I don't think it's a good thing that he went and tore it down I think that he broke the law um I hope that as he's if he's punished by the law or whatever that he will take that um whatever that punishment is that he deserves for vandalizing something. Um, And it's not because I want those to be there, but I would much prefer if he stood nearby and preached the gospel all the time instead of tearing down something that somebody else built because of the fact that we're not Israel. If we were in Israel, the nation of Israel, a theocracy or later a monarchy that does have laws from God, those laws include, we're not supposed to have this stuff. So I like what Josiah did or Hezekiah did. In fact, you got these idols erected, go and chop them down, throw them out, get rid of them. Uh, unfortunately we don't live in that nation. We live in America. And if we want to enjoy religious freedom, if I don't want people to come and tear down, you know, uh, crosses, if we put them up on our, our private property, um, then we need to respect the private property of other people. I think, I think that that is part of, um, you know, respecting the laws in the land. Now, do I, do I want us to have devil worshiping things around? I don't, but the best way to get rid of that is not to tear them down because someone will just put three more up, six more up. The best thing to do is to preach the gospel because if people's hearts are changed, they'll stop going to those things. Whoever put it up, they'll take them down or nobody will go around them. When Paul was in Mars Hill, I didn't see him tearing down all the idols. I saw him being grieved and I saw him preaching the gospel. And that's the, the, the means that I want to follow. And I think I'm going to make this last point because I think this is, again, the difference between Israel and other nations, the difference between Israel and the church and why it's important that we maintain that. We are not here to establish those nations. As we exist in the midst of these nations, we are to proclaim the lordship of Christ. And as more people come to to believe in Him, um, the laws should reflect that. But as nations go the other way, um, Christians then bear this duty. There's so many passages about it. it's our duty then to bear under suffering in a godly way, um, not to not to have revolutions, not to try and overthrow these things, but even to to continue to pray for our persecutors, to bless those who um, you know would curse us, to love even those uh, who are enemies of the gospel that. Even by our um, submissive uh, and meek character, we might overwhelmingly conquer as sheep being led to the slaughter. These images are, are powerful and difficult. I think historically in the early church, we saw that. But then once the church starts to try and establish nations, we see what happened with the shift when the church stopped being persecuted and began being the persecutor. We see crusades being fought. We see uh, John Calvin putting to death people who disagree with him theologically. We see, you know, there, there are so many extreme examples that I want to protect against because even some of the stuff that we've disagreed about, well, I guess if one of us is in power, it's possible that then we expel the other one or even kill the other one because we're trying to preserve the righteousness and the, and the things that the way that we see it. And I think that we begin becoming at least possibly uh, everything that we wouldn't want to be. Um, so, you know, if John Calvin wasn't, if Jacobus Arminius was in charge over in Geneva instead of Calvin, um, things could have gone very differently. Things would right have been a lot history. better. Well, <laughs> in your opinion, right. <laughs> um, I, in, in my opinion though, I think that that is very dangerous. I think that those are, those are things to be avoided. And so I agree with the separation of church and state. Um, and I think that's why our nation even did that. It was to protect the church From the state when we start to mingle those duties together um we open ourselves up to very dangerous problems that historically speaking i can't think of a time where it ever went well when people started to um enforce christianity with the sword like that just to me is something that i want to avoid so much um you know uh, greg wrote a book i've written some books if you want to check out our books you know click the link down in the thing my first book was about this because I think the church loves to, loves to, loves to, loves to push our responsibilities into the realm of politics. And, um, then we think that our politicians are going to, um, bring about this Christian nation, as long as I vote for the right party, or as long as I donate to the right candidates or something like that. And, uh, then we don't do Eric, what you were talking about being willing to look for all the opportunities we have as individual Christians to actually preach the gospel. If we would do that, I don't know what God would do. God would either bring revival or we would find persecution, probably some of both. A lot of times when the revivals come, there's terrible persecution that accompanies it. And Christians, I don't know if we really have the stomach for it. So we'd rather argue about politics, push the responsibility and we hope that you know whoever this new candidate is, um he'll he'll fix it all. Um and then if we have the just laws then we can just kind of do whatever we want. We tear these things down. So there's a, there was a lot there to interact with and again, that's how I define the difference between I mean, in Israel, their laws were: idol statues come up, you should tear them down. In fact, they were breaking the law if they left them up. Our land is different, and I don't, I don't think we should be tearing them down. I don't think that we should be, you know, burning down abortion clinics or any of that stuff. Like this stuff is not how Christians are supposed to act according to Scripture. Standing and preaching, being willing to go to jail if they arrest us, um, to be to be suffering under unjust laws as an example to everybody. I mean, part of the Roman Empire they started throwing Christians in jail and they couldn't even arrest anybody else. Cause the, the jails were so filled with Christians and that, that began to bring about some change because they realized we got to deal with these Christians differently because we just arrested them all. Um, and they were being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So I'll stop there, Eric. I don't know if that comes anywhere close to answering the question you were asking, it, it but that's actually, at least.
1: Yeah. Well, actually it, 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 it kind of does. Um, yeah. My, I guess my, my, Question was, I was trying to articulate it in a way that would make sense, and I think I probably failed to do that. But yeah, I guess my my question is like, okay, let's just take the statue thing for example. Should we, should we be treating the nation as if the nation has a covenant with God like Israel had, that has specifically laid out expectations like like for, like let's, let's go to idolatry. You know, um, this this statue this is an idol, and we need to tear it down. Christians have the right to tear it down because it violates, you know, it, it violates God's moral expectations. It's idolatry, um, almost almost like treating these treating it as if the state is no different than the church. Um, and I hope that's making sense. But but it's it's the it's the way in which that we approach uh, the evil in in society. Should we be should we be acting as if okay, um, you 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 can't be doing these things. Therefore, Christians have the right to overthrow you. And overthrow is a strong word, but oppose you, and even like to the point of of getting physical, maybe tearing down a statue or um, or something like that because in Israel if you if someone put up a statue like we all already know a person a citizen had the right to to go and tear the thing down and, and destroy it um god told um israel he said don't mingle with the nations don't uh, take their their women to be your wives and the the exception was unless they were a proselyte they they converted to Judaism but um don't don't do that well then when israel got mixed up with um uh it's in genesis or i mean uh, i think it's is it exodus 25 or numbers 25 anyway they they took um uh they took these foreign women uh to be their wives they were they were sleeping with them and uh uh and, and I, I don't know. i'm drawing a blank here with names and i i will remember the name when it's too late um you guys remember the guy j- took a spear and ran it through an israelite man and a this gentile woman uh impale them both Phineas? Phineas, duh, of course. And God God approved of that. Now why did he approve of that? Because he already had laws in place uh that govern his people's behavior. So you're not to you're not to get mixed up with foreign women. Um and so I, I get so going back to my uh, my point, which I I I hesitate to even pursue this because I'm probably not articulating it well, but should we act as if people in the nation are under a covenant with God, and therefore we can we can be more forceful with the way that we condemn sin and immorality and things like that?
0: If that yeah, I say sense. no.
2: yeah, um, and, and I'm sure this is where some of my you know post mill sympathies come in. Um, you know you, you look at when Boniface chopped, chopped down the tree of Odin. You know, all the all the Norse pagans were, oh, you, you can't touch that tree because if you do, Odin will strike you dead. And So, well, let me grab my axe and we'll we'll see about this. And 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 that demonstration of tearing down an idol opened a great door for him to preach the gospel. And and again, I, my arguing that everything Boniface ever did was. Perfect inside of God that's not what I'm arguing at all. Am I arguing that every demonstration of uh, of Christians declaring and practicing the tearing down of idols is is done the right way That's not what I'm arguing either um but I think the danger comes and I think we can see it um taking this is a this is a road with two ditches one. You could be, you know, you could be the wacko out burning down abortion clinics, which I'm not arguing for, or you could be the pietist who says I'm just going to sit here in my church as as the country burns around me, and yep, maybe to to satisfy my um, my guilty conscience, maybe I'll go out and share the gospel with you know with somebody once in a while, and look, I did it. Um, I would rather be on the side of the fight that says I'm going to be worried about falling into one ditch rather than falling into the other ditch.
0: No, I think that that's fair. And as long as you're still aware that there's a ditch, uh, oh, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, that at least eases my, some of my concerns. Cause I think some people don't, they think, no, it's good. We should be burning heretics. If you don't agree with our, uh, very particular view of eschatology, um, you know, then, then we become not even just persecuting unbelievers. It's, it's, it's warring against, Christians. Um, I mean, there have been so many Christians who have been put to death by, um, quote unquote, holy governments, you know, that have come and and, and have imposed various things um, that I'd rather, I would
2: rather stand next to what's the guy's name that did it. Um, I I forget the guy's Michael Cassidy. I'd rather stand next to Michael Cassidy after having torn down that statue, than stand next to a whole host of the pastors across America who milk toast timid you know never leave their building um I, i'd rather i'd rather be with the bold than be with the meek
0: well i i understand that and um you know i have a a friend um who made national news as part of a, a group of you know i think there was eight or nine of them um who they were willing to try and um put themselves in front of abortion clinics um, to prevent people from going in and, and murdering their babies. And um, as a result of that, they, you know, they're viewed by our laws as civil rights violators. And so um, our laws are so unjust that we would rather uh, protect the mother trying to murder their own child than to uh, protect someone who is trying to save the life of, of an innocent child. Um, they're c- currently incarcerated, you know, as a result. They are, I believe. Um, being persecuted for the sake of righteousness, and so the sentiment, um, you know, of this probably brother that you're talking about. Again, I share. What I'm questioning is the strategy, and, um, you know, I, I in that my my first book, I spent a lot of time talking, you know, researching this. I think about um, historical example, even in our in our own nation, when there were probably some really well-meaning Christians who wanted to uh, end and 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 free. The, free our nation of the evils of alcohol because drunkenness ruins lives and ruins families and ruins the nation. And so we make this constitutional amendment uh, called prohibition and um, it just, it doesn't work because of everything you said, Eric, laws don't change people's hearts. Um, in fact, often if you make a law against unrighteousness and people still love that unrighteousness, it makes them want to do it even more. It it, it evokes it. Like it, it's like, well, you tell us we can't do this. I mean, we're doing it even more, Um, whereas the gospel changes hearts. Yeah, go ahead.
2: It sounds like we're all in agreement. What we want is a nation that can be objectively measured and say this nation not only acts, but is Christian. Is that, I mean, do we agree? uh, I agree we disagree on, you know, points on method about how to get there.
0: Yeah, I mean, but, of course. I, but I mean, I, you're,
2: you're pastors, right? Like, how many times have Christians come to you and said, "Man, how can I vote for this person? They're not a Christian, right?" Like, what they're expressing is, "Is we want a Christian government. We want Christians in authority." Yeah. Um. So we all we all want this, right? Or we say we do. Um, I agree. We disagree over over the details on how we get there, but but why wouldn't we want our nations ruled,
0: governed? and living as as Christians.
2: Well, the I, strategy, I though,
0: makes, yeah, the strategy makes a difference, though, because Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying other, it doesn't, but. Sure. And so if we want that, that then becomes, to me, at least the more interesting conversation, is I want to spend zero, like, you know, you sent, you're reading from parts of that document. I want to spend absolutely zero time reading that. I want to spend zero time uh, drafting that. I, I don't want to go to the conferences where people talk about it. They, they're asking for people to sign it. I don't even want to take the time to, to write my name on it. Because I just, I have zero interest that that is going to do anything. Um, Now, I I understand that people view it differently and that's okay. I might be wrong, but I've been wrong about many things. So maybe I'm add this to the list. Um, But, you know, people, yeah, when people, if someone comes to me and says, how can I vote for this candidate? How can I do this? I'm not going to vote at all. Like, well, we'll consider the alternative. Um, And if you don't want to vote, I don't care. I think you should, but if you don't want to, fine. There's no passage in scripture that says, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt vote. In fact, if we could tell Paul and Peter and James and John that, hey, someday there's going to be a nation where we get to pick our leader. They'd be like, what? <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. Um, but if we really want to see change, preaching the gospel is the only thing that does it. And it does it more powerfully than anything else. and And more recently than prohibition in our own day. Think of all the time, all the signatures collected, all the effort spent on trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. When, when it finally got overturned, people were like, "This is it. This is what we've been praying for. It finally happened. In some places, praise God, it's better. In other places, it's worse. It's worse now. There are some laws enacted at where I live that are worse. I, I almost wish like couldn't we have just kept Roe v Wade and not done this, this extra thing? Because it just got worse. Um, politics, laws doesn't change hearts. It didn't work in Israel. That's why I don't view us as the new Israel. We're different than Israel. Our um quote unquote weapons in the, the culture war is things like love, prayer, service, and the proclamation of the gospel. And those Except things are very the, powerful. That can't be it though. Let, let me pose this. Hold on. I think it is well hold on though. But but it's sure I'll hear you. But it's really not.
2: What if let's let's say there's a nation Somewhere on Earth, let whatever there is a country who, by the grace of God, the prime minister, or king, or president, or whatever of that nation, hears the gospel, repents, believes. Do, what do they do? Well, they govern. They do the job that God has appointed them to do. They act like Christians, right? So, should that include? Should that necessarily include sharing the gospel? Well yeah, of course. Yes, absolutely. Amen. But should that also include the king kissing the sun and, and kinging like a like a like a Christian king? Should 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 our president if should he govern as a Christian? And I think you'd say yes. And so it's not just sharing the gospel. If God were to convert the heart of President Joe Biden, President Joe Biden would have the obligation under God
0: to govern this nation as a Christian. And well sure. And I guess I, that's I where mean, I go.
2: Well, but, but you that's say, not something well, sure,
0: But that's not something but, I do. I don't enforce that in somebody. I don't come to your house and say, Greg, you've claimed to be I'm a Christian, saying, so now live like one. That's something that naturally flows out of us. The the tree bears fruit in accordance with its nature. You don't, you, don't look at,
2: you don't look at people on Sunday morning or, you know, you don't look at your kids and say, you claim to be a Christian, I'll live like
0: one? Well, I mean, I, I preach to those who are in my sphere. But again, what obligation do I have beyond love, prayer, service, and the proclamation of the gospel? The four things that I mentioned, I don't come to their house and enforce it. I can't. Admonition? I, okay. I mean, that, that <laughs> is part of the proclamation of the <laughs> I'm gospel. Not, I'm not it's saying
2: that me. you show up at the White House and, and oversee Joe Biden if he was a Christian. Yeah, I, so I'm how? Arguing, you know, so how could but, I? You, you see a brother in Christ doing something unchristian, something unbecoming of the word of God, mm-hmm. you wouldn't go, hey, hey, n- knock that off. Here, I'll show you no, in so your that, Bible where
0: it's at. Again, that's included in in love and in prayer and in service and in the proclamation of the gospel. So you say there's something else. I don't know what that other thing is. No, no, no. no. I, I would expect if I vote for somebody, if I vote for a candidate who claims to be a Christian, Usually if someone says, well, my faith and my governing don't interact with each other, I go, well, you're not the same kind of Christian that I'm talking about. And I'm not interested in voting for you because my faith uh, interacts with everything that I do. Every decision that I make is somehow influenced. And I'm not saying that I, you know, pray and say, God, what socks do you want me to wear today? But like the the decisions that I make, the direction that my life uh, is headed is influenced hugely by what I believe. So if someone says, you know, I go to work and I leave my faith outside the door and I just do, I'm like, well, that's not somebody I'm interested in voting for um but i only get one vote and other people they vote for other people and so if i'm going to you know hopefully the candidates that i vote for win that's probably not a revolutionary idea right i don't know anybody who goes and votes and says i hope that that the other guy or the other lady wins right so we go and we vote for the people that we want to to win we hope that they'll govern in accordance with the things that they say i'm not sure if you guys have noticed oftentimes politicians say one thing and then do something different they do um, and they do i've seen it like once or twice maybe and not everybody um and so you know this yes of course i would love to have a christian president or a christian king if i lived in some place that had a king or a christian parliament if we, you know um but of all the places i see like you guys know this our current president claims to be a christian so like you know what do we do with that he would tell you that he is governing inconsistent with christian principles that's the guy who currently fills the office and the guy before him, and the guy before him, and the guy before him—they all claim to be Christians, and they all said that they were governing from a, a place of Christian values, and they all sprinkle in Bible verses, and they all say that the, the legislation that they're proposing—that these are the Christian things to do—and so again, so who has the right
2: or obligation to tell
0: him he's wrong? I mean,
2: nobody. I don't know. Nobody has a right. Have you obligation? written him a letter and told him he's wrong? Uh, no, I'm, I'm asking you in your. In your you can go paradigm, stand outside
0: of his house and preach it from the fence.
2: In your paradigm, who has the right and obligation to stand up and declare, "Thus saith the Lord"? I think
0: any Christian can do that. Okay, great. I um can do it, or or yeah, I'll leave it there. Ought to? Yes, yeah, I believe that every yeah. Christian ought to be equipped. But here, yeah. here again, our our conversations here, we don't all agree on what's right. Yeah. So you know, all of us. We could all write a letter to our, we can, we can write letters to our Congress people. We can write letters to our senators and, and, and our, our representatives and, and our local government But that's government going leaders. beyond
2: just the gospel, isn't it? Not like, necessarily.
0: It, it, well,
2: um, I think if, if we're participating, if, if we say, well, yeah, I, I think that, I think that in practice that goes beyond just presenting the gospel. Not that it. It's outside of the gospel, but it goes beyond just. I guess, I guess how, like in what way? If if you write a letter, let's say, let's say you wrote a letter to your city governor and said, Hey, or city mayor or whatever, whatever it is. Right. Um, Hey, we ought not to be doing this. You claim to be a Christian. Uh, That's not exclusively presenting the gospel.
0: Sure it is. Repent and do the right thing. That's the gospel. It's part of the gospel.
1: Can I, can I jump in here real quick? Uh, I, I definitely want Christian leaders, and, and I actually think that having Christian leaders does make a difference uh, for society. One example, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth." So it sounds as if what he's saying is, if we pray for those in authority, and I think he's talking, the context makes it sound like he's talking about praying for their salvation. If we pray for their salvation and they do become Christians, that has an impact on society. Um, Paul, it sounds like Paul wanted to appeal to Caesar to try and preach the gospel to Caesar since everybody he went in front of, um, all the Festus, Agrippa, Festus, yeah. Agrippa, yeah, all those guys. He preached the gospel to all of them. Yeah. And so he appealed to Caesar to preach the gospel to, to Caesar. Uh, but, but the point is that I think it does matter. I think that, that the. The spiritual condition of leaders makes a, a very, very big difference. A hundred percent agreement. Does, it, does, it, does that mean that if we have Christian leaders and then the nation's going to be Christian? Well, of course, there's no guarantee of that, um, but it can help. Now, I want to go back to some uh, Joe, that you said earlier, and, and there is definitely truth to this, but I think there's more than one, more than one truth with it. You talked about can I, how— Can I
0: pause you for one second before you make this point? Yeah, can I just add a yeah, tag yeah. on— I've said to people, uh, particularly that want to complain to me about politicians. I will ask them very directly, Do you pray for, for example, our president as much or more than you complain about him? because the the verse that you just read tells us what we ought to do as Christians. It doesn't say, Go into all the world and gather your like-minded political friends and complain about the decisions of the leaders that you disagree with. It says pray for them, mm-hmm. and so that gets back to the things I'm talking about like we don't we, we have lost the ability, or seemingly the willingness of Christians to pray for our leaders, to pray for the salvation of the people that are lost. And you know what? I I don't just want, you know, people that I disagree with to be removed or destroyed or or whatever. I want them to be converted and to find life and peace with God through Christ our Lord. And so we ought to be praying for them. But so often when we get into these political at least the ditch that again Greg you acknowledge it's there that I'm worried about, we start to think like how do I want things to be and how can I remove those people who don't agree with me? Which is again everybody thinks that way. What I want is for people who uh, don't know the truth about who Christ is to change their mind and believe. And if I have to live in a place that is more unpleasant for me because there's things that, you know, people who are in power or whatever, it becomes then my responsibility to bear under that in love for ultimately their goodness. And so like, I don't want to tear them down or destroy them or execute them. Or fight against them or take up arms against them. I'm not interested in any of that stuff. I know that that doesn't sound like what you're advocating for, but I think historically, the farther we get on that side, the closer we get to that ditch. So anyway, I just wanted to add, you, you said people have to earn the right to complain. One of the ways I think, I'll add my opinion based on the verse you just said, you can earn the right to complain, I guess, is do you pray about, you know, are you praying for this person, for their good, for their blessing? Are you spending a lot of time praying about these politicians you disagree with? Or are you just complaining about them to everybody who will listen? um that's something that i think is being lost and part of that encouragement and admonition that you said Greg i guess we can use this platform to say spend more time praying for these leaders and for yeah. these politicians and these people in authority than you do complaining about them yeah i appreciate your concern
2: for that that the ditch on that side of the road um my concern is that in our country today in the church today um looking at quote unquote christian ministries today we are much closer to falling into the other ditch, the apathetic, you know, let's just make them like us. So hopefully they'll throw us, you know, a crumb now and then. Um, mm. I think yeah, I'm not much interested clo- necessarily,
0: but, but I, I, right. I know that, you're not, that is a, yeah. I, I know
2: you're not interested in that ditch. but what I'm yeah. saying is, is um, I think a healthy veering towards the other side of the road with mindful appreciation of the ditch on my side, um, maybe I, some I,
0: corrective. I, so we end up in the middle, not just swinging the pendulum from one extreme to the other exactly sorry eric you were you were going somewhere what's uh, uh please uh, please continue your point
1: um joe you had mentioned and rightly so uh that when you well, one of the effects that the law of god has on 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 regenerate man is it actually makes them want to sin even more um and and that uh that i believe is true um for example uh, in Romans 7, 5, Paul says, For a while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the, the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So there is a sense in which when the law and the sin nature are brought together, uh, it does produce this effect. That That's not the only effect it produces, though, because... Later in Romans 7 7, starting in 7 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I, I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Now, this is how I understand Paul's words here. I think what he's saying is, and you're absolutely right, uh, there is a sense in which um, when the sin nature is exposed to the law, the law does have this tendency to arouse the sin nature and actually produce more sinful desires. That does seem to be what Paul's saying there, but he also says that that through this 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 experience, he actually uh, came to have a have a, a sense of his own unrighteousness, so he was convicted deeply over his sin. So I think it's kind of like there's a there's a negative aspect, but there's also a positive aspect, and um, so I think laws, of course. Um, can, can do both of these things. But to, to have laws that actually convict people of their sin, um, I, guess if the, I guess if the law is understood that way, if the law is understood as this is what God expects, this is, this is uh, a law that, that came from God, this is not man made. And if you violate this law, you are, you're sinning. And um, I guess if the law is understood that way, it could potentially bring conviction to the person. Now that, that alone can't transform them because laws alone can't transform anybody, but it, it might, it might potentially um, be preparation uh, for the gospel. If the law is understood in that, in that way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think all three of us agree that, that a, that in the presentation of the gospel must, must be a presentation of the law so as to convict them of sin, you know, uh we're we're all way of the, or at least Joe, I know you're way of the master train. I'm way of the master train, You
0: know, love white w- master, yeah. yeah why why would shout you shout out to why Ray w- Comfort?
2: W- Amen. Yeah, great guy. Um, why would you put on the parachute if you didn't think the plane was going down, right? Um so yeah, you have to we have to have that law declared. You know, we we live in a country where um what the past week or maybe two weeks we had um our our Senate, or a room in our in our federal Senate building, was used to film gay pornography. Um, somebody ought to stand up and say that's wicked, um,
0: and then declare the gospel. Greg and I met on an evangelism trip out uh, when we uh, we met Ray Comfort on that trip uh, and uh, spent a, a week evangelizing out in uh, sunny California, where everybody was extremely yeah. open to the gospel and uh, just uh, everybody <laughs> was so and you receptive. bore so much fruit. It was so receptive to our message. I'll tell you what, that um,
2: they were Venice Beach, California, where we in California, where we were, was way more open to that, to the presentation of the gospel than places like Grand Haven, Michigan, where um, everyone
0: is is clean and fed and, um, you know, conservative. And there was definitely some receptivity, but there was also some. Not so, oh, sure, uh, which have, is often the I have case people almost. running
2: down the beach screaming at me, right Tell, yes. you know, uh, telling me that you know jesus was a was a you know first created being, and so yeah, no, I'm not saying that there was um widespread universal acceptance. I'm just saying yeah. that it was way more receptive
0: than than yeah. other places that are much more respectable so uh anyway the the point that you're making eric i i I view getting back to the two tables, right. I think we should be proclaiming the 10 commandments. I think that people should know we ought not to covet is going back even to our holiday situation, the discussion we had. I think that Christmas has largely become a celebration of covetousness. That's part of my pushback against it. I think it's, I think it's nonsense. I think it's excessive and I think somebody ought to say something. So I do. And I say, you know what? Maybe for me, the best thing I can do is just say, I don't like it. I think it's bad. I think it's bad for Christians. I think it's bad for everybody. And I want nothing to do with it. The thing that you just said, I didn't hear about that's even worse yuck like right this is not something that we should be doing so somebody should say this isn't right um and as you know as a nation um i am distressed that um we have tried so hard and worked so hard to remove the ten commandments from everywhere that we can it used to be in public buildings uh it isn't anymore you know government buildings had the ten commandments get get them we've got them out of there used to be in schools we got them out of there i don't think that this has been progress um certainly there are some in our in our culture they have the exact opposite view right they want to they want to rid the world of all religion they want to rid the world of all christian vestiges and so you know greg your your thought i don't want to be apathetic to that i don't want to just you know twiddle my thumbs while that's happening um i certainly don't want to use force um but i do think that even if they take them out of the schools um why can't parents tell their kids the ten commandments why does it have to be like let's stop abdicating our responsibility thinking that the fourth grade teacher has to have the nice laminated poster of the Ten Commandments on the wall. Shouldn't moms and dads be moms and dads? Shouldn't they tell their kids the Ten Commandments? Um, And so as a this is why it always comes back to, like, how do we do this? What is the strategy? I think that the church has become apathetic. I think that the church has become derelict in our duty. And I want to spend my time because, you know, Greg, you you haven't used the terms here, but um, we talk about sphere sovereignty. Mm -hmm. You know what? I could try and call the president, he won't take my call. I could try and show up in his office, I'd get arrested. I could go stand outside of his house, probably nobody will tell him that I'm there. Um, but I do have people who who will listen to me, people who uh, are in my sphere. And so um, I can lift up these things and then hopefully they have people in their sphere and they can lift up these things to them. And by doing it that way, eventually we can actually reach the whole world if the whole body is doing what we're supposed to do. And so Paul talks about, you know, we we spent a lot of time talking about Romans, particularly 9, 10, and 11. Now you're quoting from like Romans 7, Romans 3. Paul talks about the advantage that the nation of Israel had over all the other nations, that they had God's law, not just a law, they had God's law. And God's law told them what righteousness was. And in fact, our hearts, they start to understand that and go, you know what? While I love to covet other people's stuff, I don't really like it when other people covet my stuff. And while I might be angry enough sometimes in my flesh that I would just wish somebody would die, I don't want somebody to kill me, right? So, like, we understand, like, "Ah, murder's probably not a good thing, especially if I'm the object of the the murder. Um, And, you know, while people might love coveting someone else's spouse, they probably don't love it when someone covets their spouse, right? So the law, then we start to lift this up and we start to, it exposes the sin of our heart. It exposes why no matter what our proclivities are, everybody has something to repent of. The best among us, even the most righteous among us, we all need a savior. And, and if we lift up God's law, simply the Ten Commandments is all you need. It touches everybody else. I don't need to go out and, and declare all these other laws. Um, the Ten Commandments, the- it'll speak to everybody enough to, to bring conviction, to show us that our hearts are, are wicked, that we want what we want, and that what we want is often contrary to the good of, of other fellow men uh, and, and you know brothers and sisters, human beings made in the image of God. And we ought to repent of that and ought to seek something higher. Love God first, love our neighbor as ourself. We all fall short of that. Um, and so I can lift that up whether they allow the 10 commandment poster in the schools. I can, I can lift that up whether they allow the, you know, they want to erase the 10 commandments off of our statues, you know, or, or whatever else we can, as Christians, we can all do that. And if we are a Christian nation, like think about like a Muslim nation. If I've never visited a Muslim, Muslim nation, but if you did. There's a national call to prayer at certain times a day. Like the whole culture is is, is encapsulated by that. We have never been a Christian nation. There's never been a national call to the gospel. There's never been like a national unit. Like we've been so far short of that, but we do have laws that allow us as Christians to say, you know what, we can lift up the gospel. And that's the part that the church has been derelict. So if we want to point the fingers at anybody, it's not our lawmakers, it's not our school teachers, it's the church, I think. And if we would do that, then the power of the gospel will change people's hearts. The power of the gospel will continue to, to cause people to be converted and nations will be transformed um, by the power of God through that. Whereas we can bring about temporary fixes through laws and legislation and, and forcefully doing it. But those are the biggest atrocities that I see. Like when I, when I'm witnessing something like, well, the church has killed so many people. Nah. I mean, when, when the church forgets that it's not their responsibility to bear the sword, then we have these, then now I got to explain the, the crusades to somebody, but the crusades, this wasn't a lot of times the crusades were not just killing Muslims and and unbelievers. They were killing Christians too. Like this is, this is a terrible thing that, um, again, that's the, that's the, the ditch just to reiterate that I want to avoid, but Greg, I'm with you and I hear your sentiment. I don't want to be apathetic. I just want to encourage the people who I think actually can make the biggest difference. And I believe that the power of the gospel, and I know you guys do too, is so powerful Let's stop neglecting that. Let's, let's really lift it up. And wouldn't it be cool if everywhere you went, Grand Haven, California, Adrian, Michigan, like if everywhere we went, Christians were boldly proclaiming the gospel, um, the effects of that would be powerful. Not only would some people be converted, but we would also see greater hostility. There, there would be greater persecution because that's always what's happened in revivals. Like you've, you've mentioned, not everybody greeted Charles Spurgeon or, or uh, Charles Wesley or John Wesley or, or, uh, uh, whitfield uh with with claps there were you know people tried to kill them people threw pieces of dead cat on them like people people persecuted them um but god used them in mighty ways and i want to get back to that
2: yeah well well that goes to my next point though there is no neutrality right when when the 10 commandments come down the lgbtqia plus flag goes up um and, and that's what we're forgetting we are in a spiritual battle there is no spiritual neutral ground you're you're either on one side or the other or you're the, the territory being fought over. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so what I don't want to do is fall into that trap of thinking, oh if if I just let the 10 commandments come down in my school, if if you have your kids in public school, get them out. But if you're willing to let the 10 commandments go down, understand something else is going up. Um religion if we define religion this way as a outward response to God um, there is no one who's ir- irreligious there there is no non-religious person everyone is is responding to what they hold conceptually as God um, so there's there is no neutrality um, and so for that um, for the good of our country, for the good of the people, um, I would rather have the Ten Commandments hanging in a schoolroom than the LGBTQIA plus pedophile flag. Eric, you have any uh, thoughts on this?
1: Well, I mean, there's certainly some truth to what you're saying there, Greg. Um Yeah, I I mean, I guess the question is not like you know, do we you know, do we want because I, mean, I, I like it's whatever what whatever is there's, there's there's always some idea that is um occupying a certain thing. Like for example, you mentioned uh you talked about um, if it's not a if it's if there's not Christian representation, there's going to be some other kind of representation, some other religious representation, and it's it, it's amazing how Satanism is really. And I mean, I'm not talking about like in the in a generic sense. I mean, like literal like Satanism is is on the rise. The of, Satanic Temple
0: had a statue in the Iowa it, State Capitol. It's almost as if he's not bound currently.
1: Well, he's. Oh, he, we're going to go
0: there. He's, he's I see what you with, did, Joe. He's
1: found with respect. Uh, uh, to some, but, but no, there, there's no doubt. Hour. There's no doubt Satanism is like on the rise. And that's, I, I've seen so many things recently that, that make it seem like, like it's it used to be, um, you know, the people that you thought, like there, 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 there's always been Christians and non-Christians, and there's never, there's never been anybody in between. But, like, non Christians used to be, I'll say, like, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, less satanic. (laughs) Um, But it's amazing how open now people are about their Satan worship. I mean, they're just outright.
2: Well, they gave them different names. They they called them Moloch. They called them Baal. Um, There's nothing new under the sun.
1: Right. But I'm talking about in America. Like, Like, you know, in America, there wasn't, nobody was. I mean, there were very, very few open Satanists.
2: They were more, like, the general population was more influenced by Christianity than it is today. Yes. Right? I think is what you're saying. So, and I'm saying, yeah, let's so, turn that tide if we can.
1: Well, and I think, God and God I, I agree. I think we should be influencing people. Um, I think Christianity should have a greater influence than, uh, you know, than these other ideas, these other groups or religions. And it's amazing what fills that spot when Christianity is is not having the kind of influence that it, that I believe it should.
2: When the light doesn't shine, darkness fills the void.
0: Yeah. So ultimately the guys, the we all agree what we, what we hope for. And of course there's, there's an opposition side that that wants exact opposite of what we're talking about. And so the question of, of how we do it, my very briefest thing is as the church, we equip every single member of the body of Christ uh, and tell them it's their responsibility. They can't just wait for, "Quote unquote the evangelists or quote unquote the pastors to do it. It is every single one of ours responsibility to understand the gospel message, to know God, to be known by Him, and to make Him known in the world. That is something that we all share. It's our responsibility. It is our ministry. Second Corinthians five. God has given this to us to every single one of us. And until we do that, I, I think putting any other conversation in front of that of the the equipping and mobilizing of the body of Christ to Freely, openly, boldly, compassionately, lovingly, preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. I think everything else is trying to put the cart before the horse. That okay. is the horse. That's the thing that drives I, it, in my opinion. Would, I would you agree. say it differently? Yeah. I, I yeah. I would.
2: Well, I'd express it a little bit differently. I would just go ahead and quote Christ. You know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Yes, the gospel goes, um, but 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 not in front of, not behind, alongside of all that I have commanded you.
0: But you can't command like I guess maybe maybe we got to talk about um, the relationship between evangelism and discipleship. I don't think you can disciple non-believers. I think you preach the gospel. I, I think that that part you go into all the world, you preach the gospel. Those who respond say, "I, I believe." You baptize, and then you make disciples of believers. And so it starts with the gospel, and of course, then the, the, the rest of it, yeah, I don't disagree, but there are some who think that you can disciple nations by, by making the laws, and you can disciple yeah, nations and by— I'm not arguing for that. Okay, because some, some would, um, and I don't know if, Eric, that would be your view, but some people think that you can disciple people, and you disciple nations um, by establishing those laws. I've never um, held that view. Okay, so, so but there are others who do hold that, so again, it's just a view that's not— But if we had all those laws,
2: if, if all those laws were in place— um, and a wicked person came along, it would be better for them to hear those laws, to live under those laws than to not live under those laws. Yes.
0: No doubt. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So it's just, again, how do we get to that place? But yes, if we were in that place, I would love to be in that place. We're not in that place. So what's the best, most effective strategy to get there? I guess we keep voting for politicians and fingers crossed. Maybe it'll work this time. Hasn't yet, but maybe it will. Eric, you... What, what what would you add? and I, I think we're we're kind of nearing the end here, so how, how how would you would you agree, disagree, add anything, push back on anything?
1: You know, this is one of those conversations where I'm going to have a lot of really good things to say after the episode's done.
0: <laughs> and you just record um, them and post them on your channel? That's what you do. I,
1: I could. I, that's, I've thought that's about doing that. Possible.
0: do i Do I make like
2: response clips so that I, I get the final word? <laughs>
1: you know, I thought before before we filmed today, I thought. I'm gonna have some awesome stuff to say.
2: I always think the same thing. Eric has some awesome things to say.
1: And then, as the conversation (laughs) unraveled, I thought, I don't know that I have really anything super awesome to say. Um, But uh, I I think it's, I, I I didn't, I didn't say I think what I kind of what I was hoping I would, I would say. And it's not so much the content, but it was maybe maybe the delivery. Um, But. You know, I, I, I'll be honest, I think um, this, this may be, uh, we'll, we'll segue into a future conversation. I mean, I'm sure we'll have the conversation on human depravity uh, sometime in the future. But, um, but I, I believe that while every man is depraved, every man also has a conscience, man has reason, um, man basically knows what's right and wrong. Now, obviously, that's been blurred. The lines have been blurred in modern times. But I believe every unbeliever, every unregenerate man is capable of, obviously, to some extent, living according to his conscience. And um, everyone's a sinner. No one can do that perfectly. Uh, Everybody falls short. But unbelievers have enough. uh, they They have enough through their conscience. To live decent lives, and I believe God expects that from every single person on the face of the earth, the guy um, in the jungle, to the you know, the American living in New York City. I think God requires that from
2: everybody. So, so I, I just want to clarify you you would make a universal statement that says every person on the face of the earth has enough of a conscience to live, um, what was the word you used? Um, Decently. uh, Decently. So yeah, you think that there, that within every person exists the capacity, the capacity for decency. However, we would have to define that, but I just want to verify you're saying that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let me, um, let me just say this too, though, that obviously someone's upbringing affects that tremendously. Um, the circumstances can affect that tremendously. But I I think that, uh, as I I understand Romans 1 and other texts, that God has given man uh, revelation through nature and conscience. And it's only when that truth is suppressed that they're given over to, um, you know, reprobate minds. So in other words, this is the point I'm trying to make. People are not born reprobate. No one's born reprobate. Okay, they're born with a conscience. They're they're capable of making moral decisions. Um there's a there's a point, there's an age of accountability that the age isn't stated, but the idea is everyone comes to an age where they're able to choose the right and reject the wrong. And um, and I think I think that makes that makes everybody accountable to God. Everybody accountable. Um Culture you know can hinder that and upbringing and every and other things too, but uh, I think that God has moral expectations for everybody and um and the unbeliever is expected to behave in a certain way, um, just as a believer is expected to behave in a certain way and if if a nation if if a nation is not living the way that it should, you know we can't just say well. These are unbelievers they can't help it. I would be really I'm, I'm really cautious to say stuff like that because I think the church um, and, and just people in general they they give people an out well you, nothing's expected of you, you're just a lost person and you know how could God expect any anything from you i I don't see it that way I think God. God, obviously God holds Christians to a higher standard. Now, of course he does. Um, and unbelievers have fallen short and, uh, well, all of us have fallen short, but I'm just mean, you know, there's there's two different standards. But I think God really does expect people to uh, to behave decently. He, he did all throughout the Old Testament. He punished people when they didn't, as if they didn't have to behave that way. So I think... Um, yeah i think we need to be cautious where we, if to say well we, unbelievers get an out because they're just not regenerate well that only works up to a certain point that only works up to a certain point and i i i believe that uh well we're we're going we can't we don't have time to get into the subject of the death penalty but i think the death penalty does play um play a part in all this too when we're talking about national righteousness and and uh And what God expects from people and and what what should happen to them if they don't live up to those expectations. So
2: I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to that conversation and your your definition of decency. So I look forward to when we have
0: that. Okay. Well, yeah, we have we have uh, started to da- delve dangerously into a new topic of uh, talking about uh, human depravity. So, uh, maybe we will uh still pause that and, and plan to have that in the future. Um Greg, we'll give you the last word on uh, uh Christian nationalism if you want. It sounds like Eric kind of gave us his summary. You have anything else to add before we uh, say goodbye for uh, this episode?
2: Yeah, no. I no. I'm going to stop there.
0: All right. Well, uh, brothers, I appreciate, uh, your conversation. And I think, uh, hopefully if anybody's still watching, they're at least getting the encouragement to, uh, not fall into either of these dangers on the extremes, but to uh, continue to walk the narrow path before them. And, um, if, uh, you're watching and you thought that anything that Eric said was super awesome, go ahead and hit that thumbs up button. Um, and, uh, we can be sure to all judge, uh, how many of you thought that any of his contributions were super awesome by the number of thumbs up we get. Hopefully we'll, uh, really. <laughs> Push the limits. We'll see how many thumbs up uh, is even possible to get on a YouTube video. Um, If you haven't subscribed to the channel, you know, you could do that. Uh, You can, uh, or not, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you want to do. You've got free will. Uh, But until next, what'd you say? So you have free will? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In Greg's opinion, you've got free will. So uh, (laughs) talk about that. Uh, Let us know your thoughts in the comments below. And uh, again, thanks for watching. Until we see you again next time, get equipped, obey your king, and glorify your God.